Good morning, church. Haynes Creek. Last week you guys heard Taylor preach on the unconditional election of God. Tough passage that we don't often hear. Taylor did a wonderful job not only explaining it, but explaining it from the text as a biblical theme and a common biblical theme. One that we don't need to fear, but we need to take great assurance in. Um, Can you think of the best place to trust in the sovereignty of God? I would say a hospital room, which is where I was this week. Um, That's where Kelly and I spent uh, at at Piedmont Hospital, a good hospital. Um, I'm happy to report that the surgery went well and that my wife is cancer-free, which is good news. Um, God is not only sovereign, he's also kind and good. Um, And this week I felt as if I were right here in God's hands. Uh, And we're always like that, but we don't always live like that. And hospital rooms have a tendency of reminding us how precarious our lives are and that we're continually stained by the good grace of God. Um, While we were in the pre-op room, I thought about how, like Isaac and Rebecca, Kelly and I have had many years without Kelly being able to get pregnant. Uh, Like Isaac and Rebecca, I have interceded for my wife in prayer daily. Like Isaac and Rebecca, we have been sojourners in a land that was not our own, and purely by God's grace, like Isaac and Rebekah, we have what we have by God's grace, and it is unfathomably more beautiful than anything we could have come up with ourselves. But there are times when I need to be comforted by the sovereign grace of God, many times. Um, Sometimes I'll look around at other couples in a moment of weakness, and I'll go, they didn't battle infertility. They don't battle cancer. They don't, they've had biological children. Um, they're not sojourners in a different land. And that's when God reminds me. He says what he said to his people and says to his church today. He says, Abi, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God's sovereignty is my comfort. Because I'm reminded that for all my toiling, for all my striving, for all my pain, for all my confusion, at the end of the day, God's plan cannot be thwarted. God's plan is always what is best for me. And God's sovereignty in His plan will always cause me to trust in Him and not myself. And as Taylor said last week, I can't imagine a world where God is not in control. And if I could imagine one, I certainly wouldn't want to live in it. Here's the gospel this morning. God elects, saves, keeps, and blesses His people. And by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, we worship Him for all of these things, knowing that His love is greater than our sin. That's the gospel. This morning I want you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. We're going to cover Genesis 27, but we're going to focus on Genesis 28, verses 10 through 21. And when you found it, if you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of God's Word this morning. And Moses writes by the Holy Spirit, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. 
and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Verse 18, So early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luce at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I can come home, come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let's pray. Father, none of us in this room made a way. All that we have earned ourselves is wrath and condemnation. We are unable to come to you. And Father, that is precisely why you instead came to us. You are a gracious God. You condescended down to humanity like infinitesimal little worms, Father. We, we're so small in compared to your greatness. And Father, someone as great as you, someone as magnificent and holy and majestic as you and your name, you condescended to man, you took flesh in Christ, you walked among us, and you were staked on a cross to pay our sin debt. Father, the heavens have been ripped open and Jesus has appeared. And Father, it's in those same heavens now that we know Jesus reigns at your right hand. Father, you've made a way. You are the way. And Father, we ask this morning that you would show us the glory of the ladder that you gave Jacob and the ladder that you have constructed by the cross of Christ. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen. Here's, here's the, the summary this morning. Here's the, here's the argument I'm trying to make. Here's what I see in this text. God's love takes the initiative. He finds us where we are, when we're lost, when we're desperate, and he shows us that the way to heaven is not paid with our own righteousness but by Him opening up the heavens and coming down to us. And just as He did this for Jacob at Bethel, He has done this once and for all in Jesus Christ, the God-man. This is how we know that He loves us and that He will never forsake us. History has a way of repeating itself in Genesis. In Genesis 25, Isaac and Rebekah become infertile, just like Abraham and Sarah, who, if you'll remember, laughed at God, 
There are two sons, Jacob and Esau. We learned that last week. Just like there were two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Instead, this time, Jacob and Esau are, of course, carried in the same womb. In Genesis chapter 26, Isaac sojourns in the land of Gerar and tells Abimelech that Rebekah is his sister, not his wife. He, he essentially fabricates a lie so that she won't be taken. And just like, and then same thing essentially happened with, uh, Abim, with Abraham and Sarah, if you'll remember, uh, a couple chapters before. And just like in, I think, Genesis 22, Abimelech discovers that Rebekah is, in fact, his wife and discovers that they are with God. Like Isaac, the promise of God will go through Jacob. And just like Abraham's family, there's some family conflict. Jacob is not a really great guy. As Taylor showed you last week in Genesis 25, Jacob gets Esau to sell him his birthright, essentially cons his brother, then in Genesis 27, with the help of his mom, Rebekah, Isaac actually steals Esau's blessing. In his old age, Isaac is almost blind, so what Isaac does is he and his mother prepare um, two young goats, and Isaac impersonates his brother by putting on goat skins on his face. Um, you, we, we're, we're not going to be able to focus on that, but I encourage you all to go back and read Genesis chapter 27. What happens is Isaac, who is all but virtually blind, blesses Jacob, thinking that it is in fact Esau. So by the end of chapter 27, Esau is just destroyed by this news. And what does he want to do? He wants to kill his brother. Rebekah finds this out and sends, sends Jacob to her brother Laban's house in Haran. And he, as he's traveling to Haran, he stops for the night. Scripture says that he places a stone under his head, which sounds really uncomfortable, but he's spending the night in a place that he's never been. He's alone, he's vulnerable, he's afraid, he falls asleep, and then God shows up. This is right where God wants Jacob. If there was ever a time where Jacob had cause to doubt the promises of God, it would be in this moment. His brother wants to kill him. He's in a foreign place. He's probably not proud of what he did to his brother. And this is a perfect time for Jacob to meet the living God. For the very first time, Jacob is going to come face to face with God Almighty because he knows two things. He's hit rock bottom and he's looking for a way out. One of my favorite quotes in church history is by the guy who authored Amazing Grace, John Newton. This is what he says at the end of his life. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. That's it. That's Christianity. That's all we have to remember. That's exactly what Jacob will know in his heart after encountering God. Jacob sees a ladder that reaches up to heaven, <clears throat> which... In the Hebrew, it's not really a ladder, it's a staircase. And the Lord is standing on top of it. Angels are descending and ascending. More on that in a moment. And here's what we see, verses 13 through 15. Let's read it together. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. 
Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So here's what he says. I'm the Lord. I'm a promise maker. I'm a promise keeper. I will be with you wherever you go. I will keep you. I will bring you home. I will not leave you and I will do exactly what I say. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. Jacob has conned his brother. He's deceived his father. By Genesis 28, we're thinking, this is the guy? This is the child of the promise? And then God shows up and says, it's not about who you are, it's about who I am. It's not about your past, it's about my promises. It's not about your sin, it's about my love. It's not about how good you are, it's about how good I am. This is the gospel. Jesus does the exact same thing with us today. Any person and every person who's ever been saved by Jesus Christ comes face to face with the same thing. It's not about what you've done. It's not about who you've been. It's not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus has done. As uh, Daryl will say, he's able. In Christ, God's sovereign grace is stronger than our addictions. It's stronger than our marital problems. It's stronger than your bad temper. It's stronger than the hateful things you said this week or thought in your head. Our tendency as sinners is to say, but look what I did. And it's the nature of God's love to say, yeah, but look what I did. This is why we need the sovereignty of God. This is why we need a God who does things for no other reason than He just wants to do it. Because if God were looking for any earthly, reasonable, rational reason why He should save sinners, we'd still be waiting for a Savior. If you notice, this dream has nothing to do with Jacob. This dream has everything to do with God. Verse 15 is the best. I'm with you, I will keep you, I will bring you back, and I will not leave you. This is everything the human soul is longing to hear. What are we afraid of today? What is every single human fearful of? We're afraid of not being loved. We're afraid of not of being alone. We're afraid of failing. And God takes care of all three. My twins are at the age where they ask a thousand questions all the time, and uh, the big question right now is, uh, Daddy, where are we going? Like, all the time. It just gets annoying. And uh, I had to get the kids out of the house because they were bugging Mommy, and they were going nuts, and they were, I had to get them out of the house. Of course, and I knew it was going to rain for three days. So we went to the monastery. Raise your hand if you've ever been to the monastery. We discovered some places in the old monastery. I'm not sure we were supposed to be there, but it's like a really cool place if you get back into the little hallways. And the whole time, Sissy and Bubby are going, Daddy, where are we going? Daddy, where are we going? And I realized, the more they talk like that, they realize I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm going half the time because I don't have anything to say to them. One time I got Ashley, I was like, I don't know. I don't know where we're going. Oh, okay. But it, 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 it... crossed my mind that my kids always assume and believe in their little hearts that I have a plan and a destination. Always. They're not old enough to know now that their father just goes places without ever really knowing what he's doing. 
And that is exactly how it is with following God. We know that God has a plan. We know that God will fulfill his plan. We know that God's plan is good and is for our good. And we will trust him with our lives, knowing that his ways are best, even when we don't know where we're going. Amen. And then Jacob wakes up and says, God is awesome. At no time does he ever give Jacob a command. All promises. Let's read verse 16 and 17. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob is completely enraptured by the glory of God. He's like, God's here, God's huge, God's awesome. I had no idea, I was just sleeping on a rock, and then suddenly God appeared and it's amazing. Let's look at eight, verses 18 through 22. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was loose at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I could come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Bethel is Hebrew for house of God. Bethlehem is house of bread. Beth is a common Hebrew word. Um, just like uh, God is honoring, Jacob is honoring God with this pillar. It's kind of marking the spot where the presence of God is. Did you notice though, keep coming back to this, did you notice that God never asks Jacob to do anything? Never. There's no command. There's no question. There's no do this. There's no covenant keeping on Jacob's part. He never tells Jacob to do anything. He declares who he is and he says what he'll do. God never says, hey, Jacob, if you do this, you're going to get this. Never says that. God says, I am this, I will do this. And then Jacob wakes up and says, I will follow the living God. That's exactly how the gospel works today. God doesn't say, if you do this, I will do this. God says, I've already done this. Believe in me. Jacob's like, well, if God's going to be with me, and he's going to keep me, and he's always going to be with me, and he's never going to leave me, and he's always going to do what he says, then I'm going to follow God, and the Lord will be my God. We follow God not to keep our end of the bargain, we follow God because God's already done all the heavy lifting. God chose His people, He died for His people, He redeems His people, He sustains His people, and we follow Him. That's how it works. I really think that we make a lot of, this isn't even in my notes, this is just something that's striking me right now, maybe it's the Spirit. There are so many denominations in this town. And it kind of makes me sick. Because when you go over to the third world, if someone hears that there's another Christian in town, 
They don't really make a lot about what denomination they are. They just praise God that someone else is bowing the knee to the living God. And it's not that we want to bash denominations. The Methodist Church, for instance, uh, this week, I don't know if you all heard, the Methodist Church is splitting over over gay marriage now, um, United Methodist Church. And, and we, we don't sit on top of this hill at Haynes Creek looking down and bashing other denominations. But when I look and I try to discern which denominations are evangelical and believe in the gospel, I come back to this principle of Jacob, which is when I go up to another pastor, I go up to another denomination, I go to another believer, if they believe that the gospel is anything other than Jesus doing everything, I don't think they're a Christian. Don't add anything to it. Don't tell me that the gospel is Jesus did this and I do this. Two plus two equals salvation in heaven. That is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus did it all. I believe in it. I I get God. Gospel is not two plus two equals heaven. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus faith equals God. The gospel is not a way for me to get to heaven. The gospel is a way for me to get God. God does it all. And I will, know, I will know very quickly when I walk into another church if they're telling me what God told Jacob. God did this. God will keep you here. God will do all. God will do what he promised. God will do this. God will do this. God is this. When a church has more to say about what God does than it does about what we do, I know I've, I've got a, I'm, I've probably got a believer here. Now, we got to do something. It's called faith. And it is something to do. It's effort. It requires your life. You've got to give your life. Christianity's hard. But remember that at no point does God ever tell Jacob to do anything. He knows that when he reveals himself to Jacob, Jacob will follow him. The problem with, our, with America today, the problem with Western culture today is we have given so many tasks to Christians that at no point sometimes do we ever think about sharing the living God with them so that God can do all the work. The Spirit will do the work when we share Christ. Just as Taylor told us last week, unconditional election isn't something we need to fear. It just gives us the hope that when we share the gospel that God will draw their hearts and they will walk by faith. gospel is not Jesus' work plus your work equals heaven. The gospel is Jesus' work plus faith equals God. Don't live your life this week thinking that you're going to add to what God did. That is not your job. Jesus' work is like a rung. And you are climbing a mountain. And you are praying to God that that rung doesn't give or you're going to fall and you can take it to the bank that the work of Jesus Christ is unshakable. And you don't have to put anything else on top of it. You just have to cling to it every day. That is faith. So what is is Jacob's ladder? There was a preschool... (laughs) 
There's a preschool growing up in Owensboro, Kentucky called Jacob's Ladder that all my friends went to. And me being a heathen and never reading the Bible, I remember I was finally in college and I went, oh, Jacob's Ladder. That's where they, all those kids went. Oh, okay. I always thought that was a weird name. What does Jacob's Ladder have to do with me today? What does it have to do with your life? What does Genesis 28 have to do? What, do we wait for a dream? Do we wait for the skies to rip open? What does Jacob's ladder have to do with our life? Well, listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 1, verses 49 through 51. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know what Jesus is saying? I'm the new Bethel. I am the new Beth-El. Jesus is the new Beth-El. Jesus is where God is present. The gates of heaven have opened and Jesus has come. Jesus Christ is where heaven comes to earth, friends. Just like the staircase in Genesis 28, the heavens have been ripped open and instead of God asking us to build our own stairs, He has constructed it Himself with the cross of Christ. God didn't wait for us to come to Him. He did what? He came to us. That's Christianity. The world religions, Mormonism, Hinduism, Buddhism, we're not all the same because every other religion asks you to build your own stairs. Only Christianity says, no, 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 God already built the darn thing and He walked down it in order to carry you back up and He did it when He carried the cross. He lived the life we couldn't live. Jesus paid the debt we couldn't pay. He satisfied the wrath of God by standing in our place and He shed His own precious blood so that we don't have to burn in hell. The cross of Jesus Christ is our Jacob's ladder, friends. And we can come to God by no other way. And once we've heard that, once we've heard what Jesus did, once we heard what God did in sending His own Son, once we read about the life of Jesus, when He spoke the words of wisdom, when He did the miraculous things, when the God-man went to the cross on our behalf, it's as if in Jacob's dream He is telling us all that He did and we wake up just like Jacob and we said, I'm following that God. Charles Spurgeon said this, Child of God, you cost Christ too much for Him to forget you. I love that quote. You know what that tells me? God didn't just make a ladder and asks you to climb it. God didn't just send His own Son and ask you to follow Him by your own power. God guarantees us that when He sends us His Son, He will also send His Spirit so that when we walk by faith, we walk by the power of God. God will pull us, friends. He will keep us. He will never leave us. He will always be with us. He will never forsake us. And what He is telling us in Jesus Christ is, I will get the job done and I will fulfill my promises. My yes means yes and my no means no. Everything I told you, every promise I've made you, every word I've spoken to you, you can take it to the bank and you can trust in me forevermore. 
this morning I ask if have you follow, have you followed after a God who keeps his promises? Are you following your God? Because I'm going to tell you, if, you, if, 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 you're, if you've constructed a God in your own mind, you don't really read the Bible, but you kind of know God, a God created in your mind is just as bad as a God fashioned out of gold. Only the God of Bible saves. Only the God of Jacob saves. And what Jesus says is, I'm he. I ask if there's anyone in this morning who has not cast your soul on the living God and Asked Jesus for salvation. Believe in the Jesus. Believe in the God who died in your place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your merciful provision in Jesus. Thank you for ripping open the heavens like you did with Jacob's ladder. Thank you for building the ladder for us with the cross. And thank you for our Bethel, Jesus Christ. The fullness of God dwells in him. And Father, it is through his reconciling work that we can be reconciled to you. Father, it's through our great high priest that we can come into your presence. And we know that just as Jacob looked up and saw you standing there, that one day we will look up and see Jesus returning on a white horse. And the gates of heaven will be peeled back. And Father, all we are asked to do is to believe in the glorious work of Jesus. Father, thank you for your provision. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for our Bethel, Jesus Christ.